What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Everybody, welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And my name is Ben Bolin. And what are we talking about today, Scott? Well, Ben, we got a listener suggestion. We know how we love listener mail. We do. Uh, this is one that came in. We might have read this one in Nuts and Bolts or something mm-hmm. like that. I know we've, we've talked about this, but mm-hmm. um, this one comes from David from Port Washington, Wisconsin. And uh, David asks, have you considered doing a show on the Chrysler Airflow? The car was a revolutionary step in car design and is full of fun facts from its original, uh, the original stunt of a reverse-mounted body which I'll tell you about in a moment, mm-hmm. uh, to the influence of the aerodynamics, the airflow's legacy lives. Now, thank you, David, first off, but you put a couple spoilers in there, man. Those are, those, no, he did. Oh, those, he did. Those yeah, are some yeah. cool things that yeah. we want to talk about. True. You want to, uh, you want to hit, should we just talk about this reverse? You want to do that stuff? first? Because that's interesting and that, uh, that's what got the world talking, right? Yeah. Okay. So the Chrysler Airflow made by the Chrysler Corporation, uh, it, it ran from, uh, what, 34, 37, 38? 34 to 37. 37. Mm-hmm. And, um, so before they did a lot of advertising and marketing stuff for the Airflow before it actually came out and Chrysler did a marketing thing where they, reverse the axles and the steering gears of the car so this car could be driven backwards and they did that they drove it backwards through detroit and it caused quite a flap didn't it? i mean people were uh people were a buzz a twitter right yes they, they but but not everyone was cool with it uh because it's so strange you mm-hmm. know yeah like what what are they up to what what are they going to do right what's this all about are they really going to make a car that drives backwards that's the idea, right? That's mm-hmm. the, that's the thought. <laughs> so, you know, if you look at cars of that era, it kind of makes sense when you look at what they ended up developing uh, in the airflow. Yeah. Because they've got this uh, really unusual design, and everybody should just right now take a quick look at the Chrysler Airflow online, mm-hmm. specifically the 1934 Airflow. Uh, that's the one that was kind of this real groundbreaking aerodynamic design that has this this waterfall. Uh, they called it a waterfall, I believe. The yeah. grill they went right in the front bumper, all all the way up, you know, like mid hood, mm-hmm. right above the engine almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, where normally a lot of the cars of the day had, you remember those real upright 
radiators. Yes. The yeah. very, I think they called them skyscraper radiators mm. or something like that. They were, they were vertical. They were not smooth. Yeah. Think about yeah. like the old Rolls Royce, um, um, radiator. The Good day. call. Yeah. You know, the great big shiny straight up and down sure. chrome radiator. Um, and a lot of the cars had that, you know, they had, or very flat front ends. Uh, this one was very, very aerodynamic and, uh, and, as you'll find out, a lot of this stuff was way ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so much so that they had to invent several concepts in the course of inventing this vehicle, right? Um, I'm going to say a word that's probably familiar to everybody, streamlining. Yeah, streamlining. That's right. This is a, a very streamlined body. Just take a look at, at all of them, really, and you'll find streamlined mm-hmm. design. You know where that came from, Ben? Take, take a wild guess. You, you might already know this. There are some anecdotes. I'm not sure. Are you talking about the word or the concept? No, no, the concept. Okay. I've, I've heard. Can I give you a couple that I've heard? Sure. I'm talking about the airflow concept. I'm sorry. Not, oh, not oh. the overall aerodynamic concept, but go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, I think Carl Breer is the guy who came up with the he, concept of he's, the airflow. He's the designer of the, con- yeah. uh, the, the airflow. Correct. I'm not getting out what you know, you're looking for. Oh, no, no. But you know, this may be a surprise to you. I found, I dug this up from somewhere. I don't remember where. What's up? Guess who was employed to help them with the aerodynamic design of the airflow? Because this is kind of unusual at the time. Do you know? I do know. Uh, go ahead, hit us. I, with are that. you sure? Yeah, please. Orville Wright. Correct. 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 Who was an aviation expert, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, half of the Wright brothers pair. Um, you know, developed flight in what 1903. The yeah. first first to fly, I should uh-huh. say, 1903. And um, they actually uh, employed Orville Wright to help in the design of what. Would eventually become the 1932 Trifon. Is that right? Trifon. I don't know how to say the word. T R I F O N. I was saying Trifon. It's Trifon. Okay, that's fine. But it was a it was a prototype car that mm-hmm. they developed in 1932. And again, this is after just a lot of aerodynamic work in a wind tunnel. And if you recall, the Wright brothers used a a very small version of a, a wind tunnel. Yeah, yeah. Um, to develop yeah. their their flying machines, their their mm-hmm. uh, theory of flight, I guess. You know, how, what would work? What wing design mm-hmm. would work? And, um, you know, after, from this 1932, what was it? Trifon. Trifon, sure. Um, <laughs> came the, uh, you know, the, the eventual, well, the, the production version, which was the 1934 Chrysler Airflow. Now, here's the thing. People, at the time, this seems so crazy to have an expert on aerodynamics for flight. Yes. Basically, working with people who are building a car. Now, why does this seem weird? That's because the typical, um, I guess the typical body of a car at the time had nothing to do with the, like the way the airstream looked. No, no, exactly. Or the airflow, excuse me. Yeah, remember yeah. in 27, was it? We had, we talked about, um, Harley Earl. Yes. And his development of LaSalle. And that was more for style. Mm-hmm. Function mm-hmm. and it wasn't really. Uh, we're not talking about aerodynamics at that point. He's just making things so that they're not so um, um, utilitarian. Yeah, he's making things with a little bit of aesthetic value. Exactly, they look yeah. beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, but they weren't necessarily aerodynamic by any means. If you look at the the LaSalle's of the day, and you know everything from GM in the early part of the 30s, mm-hmm. not as aerodynamic as what you would find in this airflow. And this was uh, really like we keep saying this, but it's groundbreaking at the time. Mm-hmm. Tough to imagine now because that's what we uh, that's what we live with every day. So they they started uh, doing these unusual things to, as we said, to uh, make them more aerodynamically efficient. And this is one of those ideas 
Now, you know, we also, we also have a podcast called Stuff of Genius, which is about inventors and people who know about that podcast know that every so often someone has an idea that is, it seems so common sense once it's out there. You know, why don't we, if we have these vehicles going so fast, why don't we make it easier for them to go faster, make the engine work less, have less drag? It's one of those things where you think 1930, 1920s, 1930s, shouldn't someone have thought of this before? Well, they had. Yes. And you know where, right? Lay it on me. Airplanes. Uh, airplanes of the day had, already had, uh, kind of a, a streamlined design that uh, Carl Breer, he, he was actually inspired by airlines of the day. He, he one day, as the story goes, mm-hmm. uh, if this is true or not, I don't know, but he was inspired by um, an Army Air Corps plane that was flying overhead in about 1927, I think is what they said, sometime mm-hmm. in that era. Yeah. And um, he thought, well, why can't we just apply some of those aerodynamic principles to automobile design because we haven't done that. I mean, that's what makes – Airplanes fly really is that they're efficient in the yeah. air. They're not boxes <laughs> up there. They're not they're not square like our cars were at the day mm-hmm. of the day. They weren't really uh, they were pushing a lot of air. Um, why couldn't we get that into our car designs? And, and what they found best that worked best was this kind of and this is still true. This uh, like a modified teardrop design is what they ended up deciding was the best aerodynamic design. Mm-hmm. Makes perfect sense, right? We've talked about this teardrop design sure. many times, yeah. especially in th- uh, three wheel vehicles. I believe we talked yes. about that. Uh, the tadpole configuration uses, uh, teardrop design often, mm-hmm. you know, wider at the front, tapered at the rear. Yeah. Um, and you'll see that in a lot of cars. Even, it's funny, you, you even notice on even some SUVs, they've got a tapered back end now, um, which is kind of taking advantage of that just a little bit in the mm-hmm. airflow that goes over top of it. But, um, overall, the goal is less resistance. And here's the thing, everybody. They did it. The airflow has been called, um, I guess one of the terms I, I read was engineer's car. Oh yeah, I've heard was, that. Yeah, because this um because this concept is you know, again, we're trying to illustrate how strange and new this idea was mm-hmm. to take lessons learned from aircraft and apply them to the ground. But this is the kind of thing that engineers should just love, right? Um and Let's talk about some of some of the things that were different. Not to not to go too deep, but for instance, you know, we've talked about the waterfall uh, feature. We also talk about the, or have we have we talked about the unibody construction? No, we haven't yet. One of the things that was really unique about this we we mentioned is the uh, this this sort of a unibody design, right? Mm-hmm. It is in that it, it did have a it had a framework to it. It was a steel framework, and that's kind of unique because up until that point. The cars had a, you know, steel frame, but a lot of it was wood. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the wood supporting, and stuff. yeah, the, the panels and also the, the underlying, you know, they had steel bodies on them maybe, but the, the cross members underneath the body were still wood. And, you know, in some cases, even some of the wood, uh, I'm sorry, some of the frame members were wood. Uh, now this one had a full steel body, so there was no wood at all. I mean, at the time, you gotta remember that GM, Ford, and even other Chryslers were still using wood in their, in their mm. framing of the car. And, uh, so this one was all steel, so that was something new. Yeah. Um, another thing that they, they used, um, this is the first U.S. car to use, uh, Borg Warner's automatic overdrive, tra- overdrive transmission. Good call. Um, so this is kind of a unique use of that, really. Mm-hmm. Um, also had, uh, the, the windshield was more of a, 
a V design instead of just a flat panel. Ah, uh, yes, because they had those big flat sheets of glass that were in the front for so long. Yeah. Um, and now they've got kind of a, uh, like you said, a V design with it where it's uh, segmented. It's broken in half right mm-hmm. in the middle. Uh, again, more aerodynamic, aerodynamic because they can angle that backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, what they call that a flying V or something like that? I'm, I'm trying to think of the term that they used. Oh, uh, raked V, maybe? Yes, yeah, raked V. Raked V. Okay, kind of goes along with the arcing grill. Huh? <laughs> kind of yeah. goes along with the arcing grill. Yeah. You know, that, uh, so anyways, uh, they also used, um, fender skirts for aerodynamic advantage. And we nice. still see fender skirts. You know, we saw them, uh, for style purposes in some of the bigger cars, the Lincolns and things mm-hmm. like that a long time ago. Um, we're starting to see that again in some of the hybrid cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the uh, the fender skirts used for aerodynamic advantage. That's and, what I was going to uh, say too. Yeah, and that's what this car is all about. It's really a uh, and what it comes down to is that the Chrysler Airflow was a like a, a stylish, roomy, aerodynamic, economic mm-hmm. um, option for somebody who was buying a new car at the time. Let's take it down a little bit, Scott, because people are starting to put it together, right? <laughs> I think so. People are starting to say, "Hey, yeah. Scott, Ben, this if this car is so is so awesome, if this is as swell as you say it is, how come it only ran from 1934 to 1937?" Yeah, there was some uh, some bad press. Can we get some bad press music? All right. Bad yeah. Press music. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. I, I'm going to be inter- I'm going to have to listen to this one to see what that was exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's the thing. Now, it wasn't just Chrysler building this at the time either. There was also mm-hmm. a DeSoto version. Yeah. Um, and they built six-cylinder versions where the Chrysler Airflow version was eight cylinders. Um, and they had five different wheelbase base lengths all the way up to this this monster that was 145-inch wheelbase. Right. That's pretty big. Yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of really unique things are going on in this vehicle, but here's the crazy thing. The public was really slow to accept it. I think right at first they loved it. Yeah. And yeah. then it kind of trailed off because, um, you know, I got a note here. I want to, I want to mention something here because mm-hmm. one of the articles that I read mentions a GM smear campaign on the airflow. You know what? I, I touched on that in my research, but I didn't go deep on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it you says the details um, for me. Yeah, I'm, I'll read from this uh, here, and I think is this this is from one of our articles right here. Uh, we have several on the Chrysler Airflow, as a matter of yeah. fact. Um, let's see. Unfortunately, the massive cost and effort of retooling delayed airflow sales until January of 1934. Whereas, you know, they would normally release them prior, you know, mid year right, prior, prior to the the year that it actually it comes from, the model year. Um, June for the custom imperials. Then uh, says jealous competitors, mainly General Motors began running a smear advertising campaign that claimed the cars were unsafe. Goodness so, gracious. Yeah, I know. So this is even before uh, the cars really getting um, really getting out there and getting some public interest drawn into it. Um, they're, they're really kind of tainting the, uh, the viewpoint of the public before mm-hmm. it's even available. Yeah. So um, that really, really hurt them bad right from the beginning. And, um, you know, then they got to deal with criticism about the design and about the, uh, the way things are just – it's – it's different. It's all around different. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, so they went back and they changed things in 1935. Yeah. They went back and they changed things again in 1936. <laughs> they right. changed things in 1937. And eventually uh, they just had to give it up. The sales were just lagging just and terribly. There's kind of a uh, – there's definitely a timing issue there because of the delays. You know, mm-hmm. we, we've learned historically that when you're coming out with a new vehicle, really this goes to technology in general. Mm-hmm. Consumers do not care for delays. And the longer you delay something, 
the higher expectations rise. That's true. And here's the other thing is like when you delay in something like this, you've already, you've already revealed what your vehicle is. Right. It was revealed, you know, early. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, it, then there was a delay that, of course, it's unpopular with the public initially because of everything that's gone on and just the radical design, right? Right. Um, relatively unpopular, I should say. Um, but then you've also got to deal with the competition that's catching up with you because they've got an advantage then at that point to say, like, let's adapt. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's try to do what they're doing with this, you know, cause they've, they've got this right and this right. Let's, let's change this and this. So they can kind of leapfrog off of the earlier progress. Correct. Of Chrysler. Correct. And, and let's also not forget that, uh, production numbers didn't go that high. No, no, they they eventually didn't uh, didn't even get. I mean, you have numbers for us. I've got well, okay, I've got a number like uh, let's see the I've got an ending number and I've got a beginning number. Okay. I've got some bookends. Sure. Um, so production doesn't the peak of production doesn't even go past like seven thousand. It's like six thousand and change mm, okay. uh, for cars for uh, nineteen thirty four, and it's in May. So it's already kind of late in the year. Sure, it's five months in. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they they don't really have the supply that you kind of, that you need to get it into the dealers' showrooms, mm. which is where you want those cars, right? It's, yeah, you have to make them available for them to buy them. Right, and and even just to just to have one for a piece of, hey, look at me, you know. It sounds elementary, but you really do have to put the product in front of the the consumer. Otherwise, mm. they're not going to purchase something based on a brochure. Yeah, uh, it just went, you know, and in 1934, they're not going to jump online and find all about it, right? Right. They're going to, <laughs> right, right. You know, they've got to go down to the showroom, mm-hmm. you know, use some, uh, shoe rubber or shoe leather, however the term was. I think it's shoe leather. Yeah. And, uh, and check it out. And I've got my book in number from 1937. All right. What's that? When one? they had, the, when they, okay. So people know, um, by 1937, the airflow was just one model and it was, uh, it was either you could get a two door or four door. Again, this is down from five, right? Yeah, down from five models: Chrysler and Desoto. Two, uno, and uh, there's a little more than forty five hundred units. Really? Yeah, no, that's too bad. It, it it is bad because it's um it's so strange that this would go down like this. And I actually have something. While we're, I want to just get the uh, bad press stuff out of the way immediately, mm-hmm. so we can move on to some cool stuff. Yeah, but, I've got some of the stats on this thing that you may be interested in. Okay, can I do my bad news thing? Of course. All right. So, according to Time Magazine, mm-hmm. in their list of the worst cars. Oh no. Yes, sir. Really? Number seven. Uh, number seven. Really? Number seven. Oh, see now. Okay. I think that's a little unfair. Do you uh, want to hear what they said? Uh, what did they say? All right. They said that they said that the idea of its worseness or its badness comes from the bad timing, um, because they admit that you know decades later, this uh, these innovations, the engineering innovations, would have been really well received. Uh, but since it was 1934, this newness, this strangeness, apparently, kind of bothered consumers and. Uh, also, there because of the newer engineering techniques, there were some defects in yeah. the uh, in the especially in the first generation. Sure, you know? I've heard this. Yeah, yeah, and which is to be expected with any kind of new technology. Sure. Yeah, I mean, so like you're talking about a few thousand vehicles that have major flaws in them from the initial initial build, right? Right. Yeah, it wasn't a little thing like knobs that would fall off. Yeah. Go ahead. What is it? It's like. 
engine fall like it in time magazine they say engine falling out type problem okay yeah that's uh okay i heard this too and this is the son of um carl breer yeah fred beer fred breer. fred breer he said that uh he admitted later that yeah the first two or three thousand off the assembly line i think he said yeah yeah i yeah. uh, had a fault that uh yeah the the amounts could just snap right off if you yeah he's like if you hit uh you know, 80 miles an hour or so, I think, is the number he yep. gives. But, um. <laughs> that's unfortunate. That's tough. Yeah. That, that is enough to get you up to, to, um, number seven, but, but uh. But here's the crazy yeah. part, Ben. This is, this is still, they still call this an influential car. It in is. That, in that the aerodynamics that it introduced, mm-hmm. some of the, uh, some of the design characteristics, you know, that they're talking about here. Yeah. Some of the ideas. Oh, you know, one other thing is, um, What's this that? is a big one. Uh, the wheelbase. Remember, I mentioned that it's a roomy, um, kind of a stylish roomy car. Yes. The roominess in this car comes from the way that they configured the uh, where the wheels were in the vehicle. Oh yes, and this yeah, is yeah. big because mm-hmm. up till this point, you know, the engine was tucked kind of farther back. Mm-hmm. Um, they put the they put the engine where was it over the wheels? They they put the engine, uh, I think. Over the wheels and yeah. the passengers as a result end up being like on, almost on the rear axle, right? Yeah, and if you look at the car, the, the wheels are very, very – I mean it's uh, – what do they call that? Cab forward design I think is what they yeah. call it where yeah. the wheels are at the very far corners of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the passengers – up until this point, a lot of cars had the passengers sitting right on top of the rear axle. Which is not a smooth ride. No, it's not. It's the, probably the, the worst place. It's so bumpy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you get this long, long wheelbase. We mentioned the wheelbase that you know the lengthiest one was – 145 inches for the, yes. the custom imperial mm-hmm. and the custom imperial had a very smooth smooth ride because um all the passengers were sitting within the wheelbase of the car and strange as it sounds that was unusual for the day that's one of those other uh why didn't someone think of this earlier yeah, that's ideas. a forehead slap moment right i mean yeah. like why, why didn't i put myself in between the wheels why, why wouldn't that be a lot smoother than sitting right on top of the rear axle mm-hmm. so um Strange. I got a couple of numbers here that might be interested in. Yeah, I want to hear the numbers. Take us up. Now, you may think like, okay, all this aerodynamics going on, this must be a speedy car, right? One would assume. You would think so. But remember, this is 1934. (laughs) Sure. So, um, you know, we're not talking about a a blazing performance car, although there were race cars that were fast during the day. Mm -hmm. Um, This one had an inline eight engine, which, uh, you know, this is the Chrysler version, apparently, that I've got these stats for. Okay. Um, Inline eight, because the DeSotos were six cylinders. Um, 122 horsepower is all that thing had. And when you look at the size of an uh, – rather uh, an airflow, oh, boy, that's a pretty big car. That's really surprising yeah. to you. Yeah, it's a pretty big car. I don't know what the torque rating was or anything like that. Mm. I don't have it. But um, zero to 60 time, Ben, if you're interested. I'm interested. 19 and a half seconds. Took a long time to get up to speed. That's a, well. There's a lot of weight to move with not that much horsepower. That's true. That's is what true. we this would is, say. This is a big car. Zero to sixty. I don't know how that compares with other cars of the day. I'd have to. I'd have to really dig for that. We'd but, have to. Um, yeah. Nineteen and a half seconds. Zero to sixty. That's not blazing by any means. That's. Uh, you got to really watch traffic to decide. How to pull out. <laughs> right. Top speed. Here's the. Here's a good one. Top speed. You mentioned uh, the mounts break yeah, on yeah. eighty. Top speed is only eighty-eight miles per hour in this uh, fantastically <laughs> aerodynamic car. But you know what? There's good news in that. What's that? That's just fast enough to get back to the future. That is just – oh, finally, man. These Libyan terrorists are breathing down my neck. <laughs> ah, isn't that funny? Okay, yeah. I thought you might find interest in that. So 88 <laughs> miles per hour. If you don't know what that means, look it up. Um, okay, one other quick thing before I'm I'm all wrapped up here. Okay. Uh, oh, two things. Yeah. Um, the original list price I've got here, mm-hmm. around $1,245 is what a uh, Chrysler Airflow cost in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It set 72 speed records. Now, given that the numbers that I just read you, you would be hard to believe that, but, um, it's the thirties though. I guess. Yeah. I don't know what the records were. We'd have to look up each one individually to find out why that's the case because that's not a fast top speed or a zero to 60. Mm-hmm. Um, but today, if you were to get the same vehicle, you know, in, in moderately restored or nicely restored, you, you can talk anywhere from 50,000 to 80,000, but you can find you know, barn finds. You, or you make can find, project cars. You can find junkyard versions, I'm sure, for a couple thousand dollars. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the prices vary dramatically. But again, $1,245 is the price of a new airflow. Um, I would guess 1934 would be the price they're giving us here. Sure. Yeah. Um, and last thing I want to mention, if somebody wants to see one of these in action, do you yeah. have any more to go before this? Oh, oh, no, I was, uh. Yeah, okay. You look like you may have something to say, but I, uh, I, I always have looks like I have something to say. I've got I've got some other smart, stuff. You got something but, smart to say, Ben? <laughs> I got some smart alley yeah, to say. Yeah. No, no, lay it on me. All right, here's the, here's the thing. If you go to YouTube, which I love to do, and oh. uh, of course you know digging around for this, I found a YouTube video that I always mm. do. Uh, Chrysler Airflow Economy Run. Search Chrysler Airflow Economy Run. Okay, mm-hmm. you'll find this video. It's a short video. It's like two and a half minutes long. So just take a look. It's a trip that uh, is kind of a publicity stunt. They took it from L.A. all the way to New York, and it was a long trip, too. I mean, they went over um, every type of road surface you can imagine, you know, gravel roads, mm-hmm. nice, smooth, paved roads. Uh, they hit high altitudes. It was, you know, low depths. It was uh, it was a regular transcontinental trip, right? They stayed around 50 miles per hour the whole time. It's a 3,072-mile it's a trip that they took, okay? Okay. So it's not a straight line right across. It was right. the roads of the day. Um, they averaged, get this. 18 miles per gallon was the average, and that was what they called an economy run and how great, you know, this is doing 18 <laughs> miles per gallon. And again, this is one of these big aerodynamic, yeah. advanced vehicles of the day. So again, you have to look back and find out what, uh, you know, what, what they were getting. MPG, yeah. huh? What made that so good? I don't know, but, yeah. um, it consumed. So, um, in the, uh, in the engine, it consumed two and a half quarts of quote mobile oil that they used, uh, on the trip. And get this, the entire cost of the trip, Ben. Yes. Higher cost, everything, including the oil that they consumed and yes. the, uh, and the gas. Get, get the cost. Guess the cost, brother. Uh, $300? $35. Wow. $35 coast to coast. That's what it cost in 1934. That is probably the most wrong I've ever been on a guess. Isn't that something? So, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting short little video, but you get mm-hmm. some running footage of the, uh, the airflow in action. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think it's worth it. You get to see, um, you know, Walter P. Chrysler congratulating the guy that drove it at the end, you know, shaking his hand and saying, cool. what a great job. And there, it's an interesting black and white film. Okay. Cause I was going to ask about the year. If it, so it's an original. It's not a restored version. No, this taking. is, this yeah. is, uh, this is an original. This, this happened wow. as a publicity stunt. All right, so that uh, probably wraps it up for us today. When you say, Scott, no, I'm, I'm done. All right, well, David, um, I'm done as well, and we hope we did you proud, man. Uh, we think that the airflow kind of proves uh, something you hear a lot in in many other fields: the idea of the critic's darling disease. Right? You know, Mark Twain said a classic is a is a book that everybody loves, nobody reads, and the airflow. Uh, was not too well received by the American public. But now, how many cars are you going to see in a given day that in some way have, have used this concept of streamlining? Oh, countless. And you know what? There are air, airflow clubs all around the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the gatherings of people that, that are excited about the airflow still. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you'll find online group discussions and forums and everything. So, you know, it's still out there. 
And on that note, there are other cars that are still out there, and we'd like to hear which ones you want us to talk about in an upcoming episode. So you know the drill by now. We're all on Facebook. We're up on Twitter. Uh, we've got this awesome blog. We've got a website you may have heard about, HowStuffWorks.com, where you can find interesting articles on the airflow that we've mentioned before. And if you want to tell us more about a topic you'd like to hear of in an upcoming episode, please just send us an email at CarStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com.